Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. I say to people, if you are going to do a commercial property, definitely think big, start small, grow your way into it. This is the Think Big Property Podcast, where Nyang earns means from property development and Tyrone, that's me, has means of questions. In this special episode, we're going to be talking about some of the current projects that Nyang Nyon is working on at the moment, including his 30-lot subdivision, hear an amazing detail about his mini boarding house project, why having great consultants are so important when it comes to aspects of property you aren't familiar with and much, much more. We are back to continue our discussion on the global pandemic and touch on some of the topics that we weren't able to cover in the last podcast. We start off by delving into a real example of Nyung's 30-lot subdivision development and see how it's been impacted. For some people, they may not be in a position where this is applicable right now um, simply because you might be buying but uh, I think that in development, one of the things you just always got to be mindful of is exit 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 you know there's a guy i met probably 10 years ago his nickname um he was a professor but he's also a very a successful business person was that his nickname was dr exit right dr exit and um and it was always about any business project that he got approached to get involved in was all about the exit how do you get out how do you get out you know i have a saying get in get out get paid right get in get out get paid and as a developer when you're doing buy and hold there is an exit element to it you know when you're buying you're building or you're buying renovating and then you're holding the exit element to that is refinancing and tenanting it for example um, and pulling the equity out but as a developer let's say you're doing land you don't want to hold land necessarily vacant because it has no income uh, you want to be exiting so I think you know for people who are doing projects in the future let's buy reno sell buy develop and sell it's always about the exit strategy and multiple exit strategies um, and, and so one thing it's one thing to get into a deal it's thinking about how do you get out of a deal and until you've been stuck in a few deals you won't learn how to really get out of a deal in, in a tough situation as a, one of my sayings is through the struggles you get the strength right through the struggles you get the strength and, and some people and I know for myself at the beginning I was just so wanting to get into big projects I want to do 10 projects a year one a month make 100 grand a month make a million bucks in reality, it isn't always necessary the way to do it because if you don't um, know how to get out of deals, you'll get into deals and you will get stuck. Um, because properties, another thing I have is properties easy to get in, hard to get out. Easy to get in, hard to get out. So you need to get proficient and better at, at selling. To, to be able to do a lot of projects, you need to get really, really good at selling your product in a good market as well as a bad market. All right. So, um, and the other thing I want to add is it's always about organic growth, organic growth, uh, and it's planting seeds for the future once again. 
is that um, you know I've done nine lotters, I've done a thirteen lot, I've done a five lotter, and in GFC I was involved in a twenty lot. It wasn't my own project necessarily. Um, I had uh, options or put and call options, as you call it, uh, on twenty blocks of land. Um, but I've been involved in various size projects. So uh, as you get bigger and bigger, and you do organic growth you get organic growth it allows you to learn uh, the process of it dealing with banks dealing with investors dealing with multiple agents dealing with different size stock because originally when you start off and you buy a house you renovate a house you sell a house you've got one piece of stock so to speak um, when you've got two of those or five of those you're, you're juggling different balls and different buyers and different real estate agents and different solicitors and banks um, there's so much going on that it, your brain kind of fries of too much information to be handled at the one time. So my point is, yeah, growing uh, organically is absolutely critical. I was going to say the same thing because the challenge that we all face is that um, there's just too much information that's going on around, especially you know, on an up market like we've had in the last few years. It's easier just to get in and do lots and lots of deals because you you kind of have the mindset, yep, you know, every deal should go pretty well as long as it's all pretty much sound. You've done your numbers, but in a down market like this, that's happening at this point in time. You've got to actually just remain focused and with whatever current deals that you do have, um, obviously trying to figure out what's going to be the best way to move forward with those exit strategies. Just like how your friend, the Mr. Exit, he's thought about or Dr. Exit has thought about how to exit and get the cash quickly. That's what you've got to be doing in this quick market at this point in time because the last thing you want to do is tie that up you know, in say two or three years time when the market changes and you don't have any liquidity or any cash to be able to do any new opportunities, then you'd be stuck and you may have made a loss because you've had to just hold on to it. So I, I totally agree with you. If you can try and get out of these deals quickly, you know, and move it forward, then it's probably going to be the best option at this point in time. And that's the thing, when you're getting into the deal, people aren't often thinking about how quickly can I get out. So simply because it's an ego thing, you enjoy having a project, you enjoy doing the renovation, you enjoy and you're fascinated by the colors and oh geez, the kitchen looks great and oh my good, it's great put on Instagram, my mates will think I'm a hero. <laughs> you know what? It, it, it's, and initially, it's a lot like that mm -hmm. and I know especially for myself when I had, I was building five executive homes. Uh, it was really good for the ego, but it wasn't necessarily good for the hip pocket when I was negatively geared, uh, negative cash flow, five grand a month mm. on each of those houses. So, uh, and that was pre GFC times with um, low doc loans, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So, my point is that there is going to be a point where, where you got to get past the ego, and um, from that point of view, it, it's about the transaction. It's about you know moving the stock. It's no different to having a fruit shop where you've got bananas, mangoes, apples on the shelf, and if you have that stock on the shelf too long, it will spoil. So you mm. really just want to move the stock. Sometimes it might even involve taking a small profit or even a small loss just to move the stock until you can get onto your next profitable transaction. You know, I've got clients at the moment who are taking properties to auction and the auctions got cancelled recently and now they're going to an EOI campaign and I've said to them, look, if you get a reasonable offer, take the money and run. Take the money and run. If you're still making a good profit, you survive to play another day and then you can use those resources into the reset market. It might be a 10, 5, 10% reset, i.e. a reduction in the new marketplace, um, but there will be uh, other opportunities and you'll be able to still play versus get hit financially with a potential loss or get, get stuck with a deal that it might take another 6 to 12 months to sell. And that's going to be the challenge, I think. Um, 
I think I'm I'm also very much I guess exposed at this point in time. Um, in in my last pod in our last podcast, we we're discussing about you know what deals we're in. I'll share from my personal experience a particular deal which I invested into going back about a year ago. It was actually a commercial property around the Victorian area, and I jumped in because the actual return on it was quite good in terms of its rental return and had full occupancy with tenants and so forth. Uh, unfortunately, in the last day, I, I've had a few issues or actually the last couple of days had a few issues. We've had an issue with the concrete falling off from the ceiling, which has also caused a bit of an issue at the front, which also impacted the storefront that was there. Um, the storefront and the tenant have both uh, requested for termination because they just one can't afford it. One's lost their job due to the fact that the universities had to let go of people there um, due to the coronavirus. And the other one, same thing, you know, because a lot of businesses had to shut down. This particular shop had to shut down and close their business and he said he can't afford it because he's not getting any people coming in to do any work with him. So, it is affecting all of us at this point in time and I've got to come up with another solution to be able to find a tendency to, to cover that and fix up some of the issues because this stuff just didn't the timing of it wasn't the best and um, I've had to reach out to also the insurance company because this was something I didn't ever expect to happen in the building. Um, the building was initially sound when we did the inspection when I purchased it a year ago but you know, 12 months later, we've had some, um, I guess, water leakage, uh, some of the roofs had to be repaired and, and I think these are some of the things that we do come across in, in when we purchase a property that's quite challenging. Especially this one is very, very close to the water and when I spoke to one of the engineers and I spoke to one of the um, town planners there who's been working on a planning permit because I'm doing a development on this particular property, he said it's actually quite common because you're so close to the water um, by the sea, you get a lot of sea, you, um, it's possible that you know it's come out and, and affected the steel and therefore rusted and then you know it's affected the structure. So we're going through this whole phase right now to determine what's going on and hopefully in the next few days, I'll hear back but obviously overall, it's no good because I've got no tenancies in there and I need to find ways to be able to generate revenue for this particular property and um, yeah, I'm, I'm also greatly affected and hopefully if the economy changes and the government does put in some stimulus packages, then it might be able to give us some subsidy to be able to help for this short period of time as well. For sure and so with Tyrone, that one, you said it's tenanted by four tenants so you've still got two out of the four or is the whole building's vacant? Uh, no, I've still got one tenant in there. Initially, I did have four. Um, one of them had already moved out anyway but we were actually going to renovate that. So, the timing for me was I was initially happy that the tenant did move out on one of the units because we're going to renovate that unit and we we're already starting with all the materials and so forth and because the lockdown happened, um, yeah, it's been very, very difficult to get the tradespeople back in there. So, that's kind of vacant as well. And the other two tenants that were initially in there paying as well have also um, terminated their, their leases. So, yeah, basically, I've got one out of the four at this point in time and I've got to be very, very um, smart on how I approach this. And I was actually going to convert one of the commercial spaces in there into a residential space because the demand for residential is still very high. So, very fortunate when I spoke to my property manager, she said, you've got absolutely no problem with getting residential tenancies in there. It's just you got to fix up these issues that are there before they can go in to make it safe. And I totally agree with that and that's what I'm working on at this point in time is making sure that the property is safe before any tenant to go in there and that's my highest priority before doing anything further. But timing-wise, just wasn't the best. This roller coaster that we're all on from week to week, day to day, I'm trying to not turn on the news at all um, it, 
in, until in the morning. I don't want to watch it like I did previously, uh, like at uh, 8.30, 9 o'clock at night and then uh, hear about all the gyms and the pubs closing and I'm going, my goodness, that's pretty crazy. So you kind of don't sleep when uh, yeah, the world seems to be crashing around around you. But um, <laughs> good old home office. Um, in terms of converting it to residential, look, I, I think that's one of the things that people really need to understand also about uh, commercial property and residential property um, is the difference and the risks involved. Like I love uh, commercial property. You know, one of my dreams and aspirations is to develop a McDonald's slash convenience center slash petrol station. Uh, I've, I've got it on my dream board and I look at it and um, meditate about it every day every second day. So my point is that commercial property definitely has its place. Um, but you know, from a residential point of view, generally residential property has uh, less risk because you've got more likely of a tenancy. Um, if you are going, I say to people, if you are going to do a commercial property, definitely think big, start small, grow your way into it. Uh, we've got a commercial, uh, a childcare centre play where it's uh, more of a development site get an approval flick site. Um, but yeah, if people are going to get into commercial property, one of the biggest things that you'll notice is that yeah, the debts that banks lend you are very, very low. So um, I don't know what my finance structure you've got there, but um, from the bigger boys and girls that I've seen play commercial, yeah, the, the LVRs are 50, 60%, which means that they have to put in a lot more cash to make it worthwhile. Yes, that, and that, that's what I had to do for this particular property, which for me wasn't too much of a problem because I had been already purchased a commercial property in the past when I first did my actually my first property that I ever purchased was a mixed use just like this one with residential on top and commercial on the bottom. So when I went into this deal, I knew that I had to put a lot more cash in, which wasn't too bad because I, I did draw from the equity on there. Um, in saying that, I guess my biggest lesson that I've learned from this is I probably should have just held back and just waited for the opportunity to buy more buy more residential property and just stick with you know renovating and selling and so forth like that. Um, I guess that's that's a big lesson that I've learned. But you know, it is what it is, and I'm just doing the best I can right at this point in time to make the most out of this particular situation. And once it's all been fully occupied occupied again. Um, I am still going to continue on to develop the property as I initially had planned and through that then it will increase the cash flow and then through that cash flow I can use it to continue to fund that property and let it pay itself off over time but it will probably um, yeah I guess put me a step slightly back just for a short period of time but once again you know as, as I've learned from you and, and also um, been practicing as well is leverage off joint ventures and use other people's money to do the deals that I can because through that then I can continue to move forward because otherwise I'm, I'm stuck. I don't have an, as much cash as I would have liked to to invest into further properties. Tyra and I were talking offline before about the project I'm about to start which is a, a mini boarding house which is five bed, five bath um, mini boarding house. This is a combination of the strategies where we talk about build some, sell some, keep some. So generally for example, the, the land subdivision, I've got the 30 lots, stage one, stage two, we'll sell all that down. And then in the meantime, I've got uh, a building uh, that I'm starting to come out of the ground over the next few weeks. It's a five bed, five bath scenario, mini boarding house, um, multi-occupancy in, in different states. It's called different things. But think of a, a mini boarding house where you've got uh, five or so tenancies. Some states or some councils allow for four. Some tenancies or some councils, let's say in Victoria, allow up to nine. So um, it's different in every city. It's different in every state. But the concept of it is just five residential tenancies in one building, right? And in this particular building, it's only 200 square 
square meters, but we've come up with a lucrative design to be able to fit five tenancies um, in there, and, and they'll rent about for about uh, 300 to 320 bucks a week. Uh, the build price on that is about 330,000. So for, if you add the up whole, the rent for the whole lot. For the whole building, not wow. for the whole land, just for the building. That's yeah, really so, good. <laughs> yeah, so it's it's been something I've been working on for a good six or twelve months, um, and so low set two hundred square meters odd, just a little bit less, and for three hundred and thirty thousand, yeah, each tenant will pay me call it three hundred bucks a week gross. That is um, very very good return. Wow. Yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> so yeah, adding adding the maths, you know, yeah, it's fifteen hundred a week, seventy five or odd grand a year. Uh, on 330k build the land itself uh, because i bought it at a discount and i subdivided it the land will owe me let's say 300 grand per block so it's two blocks of which i'll start the first one on the left hand side uh, and so call it 300 for the land 330 for the build call it 650 including holding costs etc etc uh, 650 including furniture just as round numbers and that building yeah we'll, we'll rent for roughly 75 grand gross um, net will be probably fifty grand before interest, right? So, which is which is pretty cool. So, and, and the reason I want to share that with people on this podcast right now is that in a time where most people are calling the handbrake on things and saying, you know what, I don't want to start these things now. I had a client who was about to build one, uh, and she's put the handbrake on it. Her situation is a little bit different. Um, she's got another business that's floundering. She's got to save that. And I said to her, look, from a capital point of view, you should be preserving your capital. Mm. If you're afraid of extending yourself <clears throat> and getting some debt on this thing, feel free to hold off. In six months' time, it will still build, be there. But in her instance, she's finishing off a subdivision. She needs to finish that. And if I was her, I'd get the um, bu- building approvals. I'd get the certificates. I'd pay the deposit and, and get the builder lined up so that when she is comfortable, she can pull the trigger straight away. Coming up after the break, we'll delve into the opportunities that may arise from his mini boarding house project. But if we can get that, you know, six grand uh, a month coming in from the the tenants, um, that'll be very, very powerful and then allows us to make another decision. Do we um, build the second one now or do we wait another three to six months to build that second one? Why good consultants can really come in handy. I didn't think it was subdividable, but I spoke to my town planner, I spoke to my engineer, and we looked at a couple of solutions, and they came up with solutions that in the past I never would have considered. One of the big differences from his past experience to how he is going about his new projects. One of the big differences that we've got here is that the caliber of tenant that we're getting. So that's next, and you're listening to the Think Big Property Podcast. Hey podcast listeners, we want to give you something extra special just for listening. When you head over to thinkbigproperty.com and subscribe, you'll receive a free chapter from Nung's book called Bankable. Inside, you'll learn about which development strategy is right for you, where you can find the best bargains, buy property at a discount and how do you get free blocks of land. Simply visit thinkbigproperty.com to get your free chapter.
there is an opportunity to get things done quickly because no one else is wanting to get done due to the fact that we're having a lockdown and so forth and the the supply who is offering you or willing to do business with you or willing to get through because they need the business now then i would get it done because you might not have an opportunity like this when everyone comes back because i think what's going to happen for example councils once they shut down now as soon as everyone comes back and wants the development to be approved they're going to have a huge pipeline backlog there and they probably might be backlogged for six to 12 months and you might not even get a chance to get in at all. So the chances are is now. And also in this specifically in this instance, it's in a rental property as well. So I'm not just going to build it to make it look good. I'm building it to be able to get the rental tenancies in. So because the rent is so good, roughly, you know, 20% uh, gross of the building costs there because at the moment I've got two blocks of land, they're vacant. The holding costs just of the vacant land is two, two and a half grand a month, let's just say. But once I finish this building, the whole lot, the two vacant blocks of land plus the building will all be uh, cash flow positive there. So it'll be able to, to keep everything Float. It'll be moving forward and it'll be pumping in cash. Whereas right now, uh, in the current situation with the two vacant lots, it is negatively cash flowed, which is not you know not a deal breaker for two and a half grand a month. But if we can get that you know six grand uh, a month coming in from the the tenants, um, that'll be very very powerful. And then it allows us to make another decision: do we um, build the second one now, or do we wait another three to six months to build that second one? But either way, it's you know it, it's a good use of the that capital to be able to get a good return on that 330 grand build. But the thing I wanted to share off also is that in the design of this mini boarding house is that I, I tweaked it um, in a way that for other people who are building mini boarding houses in this particular area, um, this is you know median price in this area is about 800k. So it's a reasonably nice area. Um, the buildings that most people build with many boarding houses are two-story and for some areas that's probably the preferred method to, to fit with the um, demographics in the area and this particular area it's a, a b-grade section of a really good suburb it's a b-grade section of a really good suburb so uh, normally the two-story construction is roughly 470 here it's about 330 so i've saved myself you know, one hundred and forty thousand dollars or so from a construction point of view and i'll get pretty much the same rent uh, as the big buildings do so it, it is definitely a design that's specific to um, cash flow it's not one of those things that you build it and you want to sell it down the track uh, simply because of, from a valuation point of view being um, residential play but with five tenancies they're going to value up as a commercial tenant uh, commercial play and, and therefore lvr is going to be quite low so my point is that uh, yeah i've specifically designed this play to be able to get good cash flow um, and be a permanent buy and hold so i was going to ask you how did you structure it to be able to get say residential uh, funding for it because yeah i mean obviously it's it's five bed and it sounds like it's a mini boarding. So, did you have to go through the commercial side of things? And it's smart that you have split up in two so you can stage one and stage two. But what kind of funding did you get for this type of deal? One of the challenges, like I mentioned from a valuation point of view, is that uh, what I did find, let's call it roughly 200 square meters, 330,000, you do the maths, it's in excess of, let's say, $1,500, $1,600 a square meter. So one of the things that you do have to tip into uh, when you're doing mini boarding houses sometimes is you have to chuck in more equity. So the valuation for the building came in, I think, at 285 right 285 so i uh, theoretically you'd have to chip in a, a fair bit of equity on top of the uh, 330 normally you know you might chip in 20% which is 66000 but here because it's 285 
I'm only getting 80%, let's say, of 285. So it's a bit more cash that I need to chuck in. Having said that, I've got a fair bit of equity in the land. So um, I bought the whole site for 440 and the whole site's now valued, just the land only, is about 685. So I've made a fair bit of equity in the land and I'm using that to cover the shortfall in the valuation of the building. Right? Uh, so, uh-huh. yeah. So it's not, yeah. So, but normally people, yeah, they'd get a valuation on the land and then they'd have to tip in extra 50, 80 grand on the build. So, how did you come across this particular deal? Just can you paint the picture behind the story behind that? This particular deal, I didn't, it's, it's one of those things um, where, and I teach in my courses about some consultants, they convert impossible deals to possible and other deals that you might think possible are impossible. So, in this particular instance, it was a 800 square meter block. For those who are familiar with um, Brisbane City Council, the uh, minimum land size is 400 square meters. So from that information, you might think it's subdividable. However, the block was narrow and it was only uh, 18 meters wide and it sloped towards the rear. So for any developer listening, they'll know that, okay, minimum frontages are important. So in this council, Brisbane City Council, 10 meter frontages are a minimum. With 18 meters wide, you're you're too narrow. That's the first thing. And then the second thing, sloping towards the rear, legal point of discharge becomes the other factor involved. So it became a property that came on the market. I think they started at 500,000 simply because it was on a busier road and most people didn't think you could subdivide it, including myself. So median price in the area was 800 grand and these guys were looking to move into a nursing home. Uh, One of the contracts had crashed, so they became more and more motivated to sell. In the end, we negotiated uh, with a quick settlement, gave them an incentive to settle quickly. We cut a deal at four fifty, and then I got a further discount uh, of ten thousand. It got to four forty. So um, I didn't think it was subdividable, but I spoke to my town planner, I spoke to my engineer, and we looked at a couple of solutions. And they came up with solutions that in the past I never would have considered. And, and one of them was getting a narrower frontage relaxation which we're able to show some precedence in that local council. And secondly, being able to, how we were able to solve the um, slope towards a real legal point of discharge. So the engineer gave me a couple of solutions. I'm not going to give it all away, but yeah, we found a solution that, um, yeah, was able to be acceptable by council. Uh, There's a few people out there, you know, who still think you can push it uphill. You can't. Uh, And I've tried, but uh, yeah, we found a way to be able to get it uh, through. And, And long story short is, the town planner plus the engineer came up with solutions that I didn't know about um, to be able to get it through. And, and the council were very proactive with it to solve the narrow frontage as well as the slope towards the rear. It's not a big slope towards the rear. It might be you know one, one and a half metres across 50 metres uh, in terms of that slope. Um, but it would pose a problem that you can't really lift that block for, for that length of the block to, to get it to the street. It's very, very expensive to do that. Wow, it's 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 so important to rely heavily on the consultants, and you've got to find good consultants to be able to help you. Because otherwise, as you said, you wouldn't have known this unless you asked them, and they know their expertise to be able to find solutions for this. And I think that's part of education where you've got to definitely get educated about the minimum requirements of council, the zonings, the frontages, the how a basic subdivision works, uh, frontages, legal point of discharge, sewer, water, storm water, dog before you dig, all that basic stuff. Um, but at the same time, you've got to be open. You've got to be open because I would have bet money that you wouldn't be able to develop this and I would have told any client of mine who would have brought the deal to me that no, it definitely doesn't work. But at the same time, 
you got to be open to consultants feedback uh, even if it's just a three-minute conversation say mate look I think this is a crazy thing but can you give me one minute have a look over this do you think it's possible um, to do so and they'll, they'll give you your feedback and if you've got a good relationship with them um, which takes time to develop uh, you'll be able to, to get their feedback I know you sort of mentioned um, you came across this deal but how did you how did it come across to you again it was actually through a real estate agent it was actually online and we have various filters so we have you know probably a dozen ways of finding deals some of them are off market some of them are uh, as in off market through agents some of them are off market through property owners and some of them are just the vanilla looking online and watching price reductions that's what one of the things we do look at online and, and get the filters for is every week we look at uh, price adjustments and, and we have our um, team review price adjustments if we see that something's going down and down and down in price uh, we'll keep an eye on it and then approach the agent to uh, ask them you know how motivated is this person to sell and uh, if you want to cut the pain we can help you out uh, sooner rather than later it's a very interesting thing because the challenge I think a lot of us find is having the time to be able to find the deals but once we're in that deal then it becomes that part of knowing what to do with the actual property. So, it's very good insight to be able to hear how you actually go about approaching these deals as well and I know we talk about it inside the course as well so that's been really, really helpful to hear. So, what's the next steps then for this boarding house? How long do you think it's going to take roughly for you to actually um, get it all completed and really you know, get tenants in there? I reckon it'll take, let's say, three months. It's quite common for a low set to be built in about 12 weeks. So, uh, let's say 12 weeks time and then it might take another two to four weeks to rent the property. Uh, I'm not going to be looking necessarily for top dollar on a rental basis and, and that's the same thing I learned in the GFC is not necessarily chasing top dollar when you're selling land. When you've got multiple tenancies and five, in this instance, five tenancies hitting the market in one go is, you know, I'll be get starting the marketing at let's say 295 bucks a week and then the other ones would be 300 310 315 but i just want the building full uh, it's my first mini boarding house uh, for a long time i've had one uh, probably about 15 years ago it was not a pleasant experience uh, diff completely different caliber of property completely different caliber of tenancy um, but my point is that yeah we just want this thing full and uh, on the next one once we've spent six 12 months in this one uh, and we've got the other one up and running. The second one, uh, we'll make different decisions. But it's about getting it full. Every week that it's empty uh, means I'm missing out on roughly $300 a week per room. So um, the quicker we get this thing tenanted, the, it, it's in motion. We'll um, deal with the uh, workings of any building issues, any uh, maintenance issues of a brand new building. There's always going to be maintenance issues and defects in the first six or 12 months especially um, and, and management issues as well. So, just taking a step back, you mentioned that you did something like this similar to 15 years ago but a completely different experience due to the fact it's different place, different time and so forth. Maybe just curious, what kind of lessons did you learn from that and how are you going to approach it for this one moving forward? Where do I start, mate? You're giving me a flashback. So let's just put let's just let's just have a look at paint the picture of. So the building we bought at the time I'm recalling now was roughly three hundred and twenty thousand dollars. Just getting the numbers out of my head. This was in two thousand and three, two thousand four. So call it yeah, fifteen odd years ago, sixteen odd years ago. And it was a six bedroom house mm -hmm. back then. You could do six bedroom houses, and my aim was to get in roughly people roughly 100 to 120 dollars a week and it was a just a queenslander timber floors one kitchen and just rooms oh. so 
I, I attracted a different type of tenant back then. Um, we're getting mostly people on Centrelink, people who unemployed and people you could say that were clutching for straws financially. Mm. So um, the, the lesson that I did not learn back in uh, 2001, that was my first tenant that ever trashed my property was a tenant that were, was on uh, Centrelink. So in this particular instance, because of the, the condition of the property, it wasn't bad condition. It was just how I'd set it up. And um, one, one of the big differences that we've got here is that the caliber of tenant that we're getting in um, needs to have a decent job. And what I mean by that is to get and pay rent of $300 a week, we're talking the average rule of thumb is a three to one. So if they're paying 300 bucks a week, they need to be earning 900 bucks a week, call it 45 grand a year. Mm. Uh, being on Centrelink, they're not going to be able to afford that. No. So firstly, is the caliber of tenancy is going to be different. And, and to be able to get that uh, income is we need to provide a quality property. So the mini boarding house is each of the tenants, uh, it's self-contained or self-sufficient as we call it. It's got an ensuite. They've got a kitchenette, they've got nice floor coverings, they've got a courtyard. I'm going to be throwing in a, uh, a shed where I can for each of them as well, even if it's just you know three square meters of a shed to put their bicycle or their surfboard or their lawnmower. They probably won't need a lawnmower because we're not <laughs> yeah. going to have any turf. Yes. You're going to put AstroTurf. Um, but my point is that one, yeah, providing a high caliber of property to attract a better tenancy so the other property was on a main road uh, as well which was fine but i think yeah we just attracted the wrong type of tenant um, and, and these each of these tenants will be self-sufficient whereas the one that i had previously just had a room they, they weren't self-sufficient they just had a room and they had a communal area the, these mini boarding houses that we'll be building have communal areas as well but they won't be dependent on it they don't have to share the fridge uh, when tenants share a fridge they generally, some people will steal food. Yeah. They just can't help themselves. You know, oh, this guy's got a beer. If he's got six beers, I, ha I take one of them. No, who's going to notice, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, so long story short is when you attract a different caliber of tenant, uh, your problems will be different um, and, and it hits a, a sweet spot as well. So these guys um, that I'm looking to attract will have jobs um, and they'll get better finishings and, and furnishings as well. Mm -hmm. and, and as a result, you just get less problems. So they would have their own entrances as well too or will they be coming through a main entrance that they would be able to separate into their own rooms? I've designed it so that each tenant will have their own entrance. So some of their paths will cross with let's say a common hallway but they will have uh, their own entrances. So let's say a sliding door for some of them um, but yeah, they won't necessarily be having to share a uh, fridge necessarily. So. Um, we do find that in these kind of buildings through my other clients who've got them is, for example, they might have um, a common area, but you just do the minimum requirement. So let's say it's 20 square meters and you, you don't do 40 square meters. You don't try to overcompensate or make it a party room because that's what happens in the past is you've got a big area uh, and people commune, uh, can hang out. Um, not not just in the social distancing issues, but um, that they invite their friends over and they put the music on, they have a few beers, a few beers becomes a few cartons and next thing you know, yeah, the police are over there. So the last experience I had, I had a lot of police issues, uh, raids, drug raids on the property of a Saturday night and, and my phone might be off on the weekend and I get messages over the weekend and when I turn my phone on, on the Monday saying, this is the police, um, can you please call us? We've, there's been a reported, you know, XYZ at your property. So I think the communal area, strategizing about that, uh, we do find that if people have got their own areas, they don't necessarily want to use or need to use the common areas, 
Um, even the kitchens and the ovens, sometimes you'll find that the manuals are still in the ovens, un un unopened. <laughs> um, and um, yeah, and the other thing is, yeah, if you provide people with their own fridging, fridge, uh, fridges, their own furniture, um, their own basic, they just don't have to or they don't feel like they want to necessarily socialize. When this is all over, I'll be coming up and taking a look at this myself. It's got me really intrigued because this is such a, a simple concept because when you think about it, if if you buy say maybe a luxury home for like a five bedroom um, with en suites and so forth, it's definitely achievable to swap that over. I mean, if, if you're buying for your own use, different story but when you think about it, the, the bigger houses in Sydney here um, are on average five bedrooms even when I grew up actually, my, my parents' place was a five bedder and I had my even en suite when I was downstairs and same as my siblings. So, something like that is definitely achievable. It's just a matter of how is it set up and how can you make sure that you get the quality tents in there and it's a fascinating way to think about it because the opportunity now is we're all trying to find cash flow especially in say Brisbane and Sydney and Melbourne. The, the cost of purchasing a property doesn't return a very good um, yield on it anymore unless you actually have additional cash flow and by separating say five individual places with $300 each a week more than covers the, the mortgage and you know give you positive cash flow. So, it's fascinating to hear it. I've been looking at models like this for a long time and it took me a while to find a builder that uh, understood the model and understood the rules and regulations, not just of construction, but of the tenancy as well. There's a bit of a, you know, a, a confusion or misunderstanding about this model out in the marketplace. However, these guys, they really, really understand how it is. So they've got a, a start to finish model where they can do the building and they refer you on to a rental manager who's very, very hungry and very, very, um, yeah, on top of the rules and regulations, fire regulations and, and all that. And it takes a fair bit to get your head around because there are huge differences between that and a normal tenancy. Um, like for example, a normal tenant, you need to give them, let's say 14 days notice or seven days notice to remedy breach uh, before you can potentially kick them out here. The rules for a residential tenancy um, on a short-term basis is completely different. You can give them 24 hours notice. So the rules are, are quite different. Um, the fire regulations are different. There are some additional maintenance expenses and insurance expenses. I'm not saying it's a be-all and end-all, but from a cash flow point of view, um, yeah, it's a lot more lucrative than just buying a house and having one tenant pay potentially 600 bucks a week, 700 bucks a week. Here, having five tenants of $1,500 a week, uh, yes, there's going to be more expenses, but you're going to have a lot more diversified income. So let's say one tenant moves out, you've still got four tenants in the building and 80% of your rent still coming in. Whereas if you've got one tenant for one dwelling, if they move out, then that property is vacant for two to four weeks until you get another one, pay a letting fee and then back you go again, which, which is fine. I've got properties like that as well. But one of the new models I'm testing is this uh, multi-tenancy model. Once we build the second one, we'll have 10 tenancies on 800 square meters and then we'll review, okay, do we do more of these? Uh, low set to go, high set to go, how big is a block of land is a um, sweet spot. There's all those considerations but you've got to test it, put your money where your mouth is and I've seen a few of my tenants and colleagues do it and it seems to be working so uh, I've decided to give it a go. Coming up on the next episode of the Think Big Property Podcast, we'll be diving into land subdivisions versus townhouses versus units. 
Sometimes people think when you're doing land subdivision, you have to build dwellings on it. Not necessarily. Why townhouses can take quite a long time to finish? With townhouses, especially when you're starting out, you can you usually tie yourself up in knots because you really focus on the design and making it perfect and fitting the block and, and things like that. How hard it is to sell vacant blocks of land? When you're selling uh, vacant land, it is a lot harder uh, to sell. But there is a skill in it and there is an art in it. And that's next time on the Think Big Property Podcast. Hey, just a quick one. Want to learn how to find property bargains with very little work? Then this is for you. When you head over to thinkbigproperty.com and register your seat, you'll learn three ways to make vendors chase you. Simple no money down developments virtually anyone can do. The nine secret words that make sellers drop their price by thirty to fifty thousand dollars on the spot, and much, much more. Visit thinkbigproperty.com to register your seat and access the online workshop. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.